Stand by for the Terry Saul Show in five. Roll tape. Four. Cue Terry. Three. Bring audio up. Two. Stand by. One. Play intro. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be talking with Christian Drazen, who's running for governor of the state of Oregon. And in the second half of our show, we'll be talking with Kevin Mannix. All of that coming up on today's Terry Saul Show. Stay tuned for the Terry Soul Show, Soltissimo, on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 and 1220 AM, KSLM. Today we are talking with uh, Christine Drazen, who is running for governor of the state of Oregon. Good morning, Christine. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a few minutes to talk to you, and there's uh, several things that we wanted to cover there. Amanda, why don't you start off? Yeah, so I think one of our big things that people are really focusing on is what's going on with the homelessness and what your plan of attack would be. Yeah, thank you so much, Amanda. This is what Oregonians are talking about across the state. And my approach to homelessness is to commit to Oregonians that homelessness in Oregon, we are going to make it rare and temporary, not permanent and chronic. The way it's felt has been that we just can't get our arms around this problem, and we have some court cases that have made that harder for local government. Uh, but as governor, I have committed to declare a homelessness state of emergency. Now, the reason that that's the approach I'm taking is because I believe that the state has a clear role in supporting local government's response to homelessness. And the emergency declaration of, around homelessness allows for me to marshal state resources and certainly to coordinate with local governments to ensure that if there are any barriers to addressing the challenges that they're facing on the streets, that we work through that together. That we coordinate, that all of these folks that right now are throwing a lot of money at this problem, that we do this in a way that actually, uh, actually reduces the experience of people that are experiencing homelessness and certainly the impacts on community. So we have got to address the humanitarian crisis in our streets with all the tools available to us. And that will absolutely include prioritizing public health, ensuring community safety, enforcing local ordinances, and supporting the the court's requirements that that people have a place to go, at which point uh, we can can begin to transition people off of our sidewalks. Christine, is the homeless uh, a big issue in Salem and Portland, or is it statewide? You know, this might be surprising to people, but it really does impact communities across the state. Uh, there are homeless folks in Legrand and Pendleton and Medford. Um, it is in, certainly in Bend. It is, it is a challenge in every corner of our state. I am committed to uh, working to repeal ballot measure 110, which I also think is a contributing factor to this. We've had, you know, multi-decade challenges with meth and, um, and, and drug addiction in our state, but the answer shouldn't have been legalized possession of hard drugs. Yeah. That has that's had a terrible effect. People that are experiencing homelessness that now also have access to being able to legally use hard drugs, open our drugs, is really harming our community and not, may, not helping this problem. It's making it worse. So are you going to work to reverse Measure 110? Yes, I am committed to doing that. And, you know, Oregonians just passed that measure, and I, I know they're already, already experiencing some, you know, buyer's remorse there mm-hmm. because I think what they thought they were getting was treatment. Right, exactly. And support for people in addiction. That's not what we're getting. We're getting open-air drug use. We're, we're, we're seeing needles. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing people that are experiencing psychosis from that. This isn't, this isn't what Oregonians asked for. So, yes, I want to repeal it, but I want to send it through the legislature so it can go back to Oregonians. I do not want to reverse the will of Oregonians uh, through the legislative process. I want to send a measure back to them and make my case and show the facts 
and ask Oregonians to reconsider their vote. Changing gears here a little bit, uh, Christina, let's talk about the, the police fund, uh, defending the police, and, and uh, where do you stand on that? I am a huge supporter of our law enforcement community. Woohoo! Uh, they are <laughs> they're critical, to our, they're critical to us, aren't they? They really um, are. We need them, and we need more of them. And so I've committed to you know fully funding state police and and doing everything I can to support local governments as they fill their positions. Portland has like 200 open uh, positions right now on their on their police force. We need to let law enforcement know that they have the support of the governor's office and that I will absolutely stand with them. We recognize the connection between whether or not we have safe, strong communities, safe neighborhoods, safe routes to school, and whether or not we have law enforcement presence. We, we've got to do more to, in, to support law enforcement, and certainly I will hire more law enforcement. And I think they need to be allowed to just do their job. Just let them do their job. That's what they're asking for, too. Having uh, the dr- the homelessness and having the accountability, I think they've lost sense of the accountability and being held accountable for their drug use, their theft, their everything that they're doing and funding the police, I think, will be a huge step to make progress in that area. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that they feel like the criminals have been treated like the victim and they've been treated like the criminals too much recently. Mm-hmm. That was never appropriate. It's time to get our it's time it's time to get our perspective back that the people that are breaking Oregon's laws are the ones we need to hold accountable and that we need we need to support our officers that are out there every single day in harm's way. One of the other issues that we have is um, the other day I opened my wallet and there was nothing in there. Oregon has one of the <laughs> highest personal income taxes in the country. Is that right? You know, yeah. Oregon is a very expensive place to live. We are, to your point, uh, I believe the most recent U.S. News & World Report had us fourth or fifth most expensive in the nation uh, state, you know, behind, I think we're Hawaii, California, Massachusetts, something like that. And and then there's like little old Oregon, maybe New York might have been on that list too. And that doesn't happen by accident. That is, frankly... A decade of single-party control. Uh, recent years where Democrats could raise taxes without anybody else's without without anybody else's vote, and so they didn't temper themselves. They didn't restrain themselves. They voted for billions of dollars in new taxes, in gas taxes, and and certainly in a regulatory programs that also drive up gas taxes. And then you've got on top of that this new commercial activities tax that is a, a tax on just what it just the way it sounds commercial activity not on profit, and all of that drives up costs. What is commercial activity? You know, to them, it's any 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 money that goes through the books of a business. That So if you have a business that is manufacturing something, if you have a business that's building something, if they have a million dollars that goes in and out of their books in a given year, then they're charged this new commercial activity tax. You know, there's some deductions against that. Uh, that they that they can navigate, but what Oregonians need to know about this tax is that it's not based on profit, and it's driving up the cost of everything from housing to uh, to goods and services, and it's putting small town pharmacies out of business because those businesses that can't pass those costs on to customers are going under. So you guys all saw the news when Bymart said, "Listen, we're closing all of our we're closing our farms." It was because of the commercial activities tax. They pay for the medications, they hold on to them, and they can't change the prices. They're locked in by contract. And so when they had those extra taxes that aren't based on profits, that are just based on the revenues that come through their businesses, they couldn't they couldn't pencil. They had to close it. They had to close it down. And that meant that people across Oregon had less access to healthcare. How did we not see this tax coming? They did. The, well, just to be clear, the legislature uh, had testimony in particular on that issue of pharmacies and, and some other industries in particular that said, we can't sustain this increase. 
and they said, too bad. And then they went in in a future session and they made accommodations, but that was after all these pharmacies had closed down. It was too late. But public testimony made it clear that these were that was going to be the impact of this terrible new tax. There was a very tiny window where Oregonians could have gathered signatures to refer it out to um, Oregonians to, to vote on it directly. Um, but the way that the Democrats manipulated the process in Salem, it was a it was too small of a window for people to realistically have been able to get signatures for that thing. So, and so it went into law. Once you become governor. How are you going to... I like how you said that. You like that? I did. Did you catch that, Christine? Once you become <laughs> I governor? I caught that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. caught that. I caught that. I know I who to am... kiss up to here. Yep. <laughs> So, I love it. And what, what? I'm, I'm committed. I'm committed to. I'm committed to fighting for Oregon families and Oregon businesses. Okay. That means lowering taxes everywhere I possibly can, and changes to the commercial activities tax are a necessity. And that's going to take collaboration, frankly, and a lot of leverage with the legislature because they're now the ones that have to get that done. And so I will fight for that. We need that. Businesses need it. Frankly, families need it because all those costs are just passed on to all of us. We have got. We've got to force the legislature to act on it. We can't afford this. We can't afford to live in one of the most expensive states in the nation. No, absolutely. So another big question that a lot of our listeners are wondering about is our education system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am a mom of three, and I have seen the changes in our schools just in the last decade. It's stunning to me. Uh, The kind of education my oldest son got as he graduated high school his senior year was just a hard push to the end. And then my middle son, whose senior year was a full-time job because school was barely anything in his life. That is unacceptable. They, the fact that they would ever lower graduation requirements for our students abandons them and their future and certainly the future of our state. I'm committed to restoring graduation uh, requirements. I am committed to improving graduation rates. That means that we're going to get our classrooms back to the basics. We're not going to be all things to all people. We're not going to be all politics all the time. We're going to have politics out of the classroom and parents back in. We can do that together. The governor is the superintendent of public instruction. We all know that. Large and in charge of our schools. And I look forward to the opportunity to to be a mom in charge of our schools and to recognize that our number one priority is our kids and their education. Oh, by the way, parents do not need to co-parent with the state of Oregon. The state of Oregon does not need to tell them how to raise their kids or how their kids should think. Schools should be there to teach our kids how to think but not what to think. And that has been really the shift in our schools is that it has shifted to this idea that they need to shape and mold the next generation into a certain type of Oregonian. When what they really need are kids that are proficient in reading and writing and math. That's what our schools need to get back to. I agree. One of the the issues I have is I have two grandchildren, and my my oldest grandchild, um, she just started first grade, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm scared for her. She's in the first grade. Yeah. How how are we going to be able to make these schools safe again? Yeah, we need. You know, well, we there's a couple ways to look at this. We have we have got to um, support and fund anything that these school districts are asking for to make these uh, safe facilities and safe campuses to control access points, to control entry points, to ensure that people don't come on campus that don't belong there. And then we need to ensure that what goes on inside that school is safe for those students. And so, you know, we have, we do have a, a conversation happening right now, at least as far as curriculum goes, where our kindergartners are being asked questions that are about identity and gender and all kinds of stuff that you would never imagine would be appropriate 
or necessary for a five or six year old um, just starting off in school to have those kinds of conversations. They should be learning fine motor skills. How do you hold on to your pencil? How do you sit quietly for, for story time? But that's, that's not the direction our school has gone. And so I'm worried about our kids' kind of, you know, emotional health. I'm worried about their safety. And, and, they, and we have got to do everything we can to recognize um, that COVID and certainly a political approach inside our schools has harmed our kiddos. Mm-hmm. And they're facing, they're facing so much right now. Like we have a generation of kids that is anxious and worried about all kinds of stuff from climate to, you know, whether whether or not, you know, they, they're being just in the world. Like, we're putting all these adult conversations and adult expectations on our students and saying, you know, you need to be worried about all of these things. You know what those kids need to be worried about? They need to be worried about turning their homework on time. Mm-hmm. They, need to be, they need to be worried about learning algebra. They don't need to take the weight of the world's challenges and problems and put them on their shoulders and say, now go out into the world and be a change maker at age 12. Okay, so for our listeners, if they want to look up more information on you, see where you're going to be, what debates you have coming up, or even to just donate to your campaign, how would they go about that? Oh, please, please, please come find me at christinefororegon.com. And it's got my roadmap for Oregon's future. It talks a lot more about accountability in our schools and job growth across our state and the crisis in our streets for homelessness and uh, and supporting law enforcement. And that's where you can go to volunteer and get a lawn sign or, you know, sign up to walk with us and knock on doors or give a donation. Everything helps. This, this state needs all of us. That It doesn't need a politician to hand us a better future on a silver platter. It needs every single person in this state to choose to be a part of turning it around, speaking up, standing up, and participating in these elections and in this civic conversation we're having right now about what is our future? What are, what, what are we willing to accept? I'm not willing to accept where we are right now in our state, and I'm asking Oregonians to join me to fight for our future. Well, we saw you on a recent debate with Channel 2 uh, last week or so, and my wife walked into the room and she says, oh, what are you watching? I go, I'm watching our next governor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we are so excited to see you take this and win and just we need this change big time. And so we're really excited that you are in this position and you are going to win. And after you do win, will you come back and talk to us? <laughs> of course. Of course I will. All right. We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> Please do. Please do. And you guys, thank you so much for the opportunity today. No, thank you so much. It's so important to get all this information out to our listeners. All right. Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. Welcome back to the Terry Saul Weekend Show. We are talking uh, with Amanda Smith, who has joined us. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Now we go from Christine Drazen to who else? We have Kevin Mannix in house with us now. Good, good morning, morning, Kevin. Well, good morning to both of you and to everybody listening. You're running for, what, the state representative, 21st district? That's correct. Okay. It's House District 21, which is Kaiser and North Salem. Basically, if you live north of State Street, <laughs> you are a potential constituent. If you live in Kaiser, you're definitely a constituent. The north part of Salem is divided, but uh, basically, think of it as a boot. And uh, all of Kaiser and North Salem, from State Street 
to Market Street and then east to 45th now, Avenue. Kevin, we're only 30 seconds into this segment, and you've already got me confused. <laughs> As we get into this a little bit more, we're going to talk about uh, homeless, uh, safety, uh, political, the cost of living. But first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you well, from? Well, first of all, one way to get you confused is to tell you about the district because of all the gerrymandering. That we're right. 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 Well, I was born in New York. But I left. I turned five on a ship bound for Latin America. Oh, nice. And the first next nine years, I lived seven of them in Ecuador, Panama, and Bolivia because my dad was uh, working for the State Department in our Alliance for Progress Foreign Aid program. So I spent nine years in convoluted moves back and forth, but uh, seven of those years in Latin America. Then I went to high school in Virginia. Arlington, Virginia, and graduated from high school in Arlington, but it was, seemed a natural thing to go on to the University of Virginia, which I did for college. Then it seemed a natural thing to go to the University of Virginia Law School for law school, which I did. While in college, I met Susanna, who was another Foreign Service kid, and she and I... Uh, decided to get married. When we decided to get married, I thought, well, we're in Virginia. And she said, so <laughs> let's adopt a home state. So we studied up. This is before the internet and all of that. We studied up on the 50 states. We narrowed it down to the Northwest, Washington and Oregon. But Tom McCall kept saying, visit, but don't stay. And we thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. Let's check it out. I came out to Oregon uh, to uh, scout things out during my third year of law school. And I still remember going to the coast, uh, having a burger and a beer, watching the sunset. And I was up there in uh, Cannon Beach and driving back, uh, stopping at a phone booth, which they had in those days, <laughs> to call Susanna and say, this is the state we ought to come to. I've driven around enough. I've seen enough. It's a beautiful place. We uh, got married at the University of Virginia in the Catholic chapel there and honeymooned to Oregon through nice. Mexico and San San Francisco nice. and came straight to Salem because by then I'd landed a job with the Oregon Court of Appeals as a law clerk and Susanna landed a job with Salem Hospital as okay. a registered nurse. And Susanna still works for Salem Hospital today. Oh, wow. She's on a flexible schedule, but uh, she's still there. And uh, of course, I've had my law firm in Salem for 36 years. Awesome. And do you have children? Three kids, all blessed as far as I'm concerned. They went through St. Joseph Catholic School, then they went through Blanchette Catholic School, went through college, and all three of them now are working, and uh, ironically. So we, we come to Oregon, and now we have a son who is up in Washington as a firefighter, another son who's in New Orleans as a structural engineer, and a daughter who's in New York doing, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll call it online internet uh, uh, whatever they do for marketing yeah. uh, via the internet. Okay. Any grandchildren yet? We have five. And, okay. Uh, four in New Orleans and one up in uh, Everett, Washington. Yeah. And uh, I think our kids are still working on it a little bit, uh, at least the second son. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> five grandkids. What a beautiful family. Successful. We're, well, and we're blessed. I, I I keep saying that because I realize the challenges people face, and our kids uh, uh, got through school and uh, found a uh, the work that they enjoy and right. love, and they're doing well at it. So Suzanne and I are technically empty nesters, but we were smart. We bought a 1920 house when we came to Oregon, refurbished it a bit, and we're still in the same house. So oh, nice. we didn't 
grow the house as the kids were growing up, and so we didn't have to downsize. We're they're still in the same and, house. And if you keep it small enough, they'll have to get out. <laughs> you know, that's what I learned. Well, in a way, yes. And uh, but of course, we love to have them come visit. And uh, we do have three spare bedrooms now. It was a four bedroom house. Yeah, you said that you, one of your sons is is a firefighter up in in Washington. How proud are you of that? I'm very proud. Uh, Gabriel went, graduated from Portland State, did some office work, but then he became a volunteer firefighter while at Portland State. That's how they get you. And uh, he loved it. So he got in line to enlist in the Air Force to be an Air Force firefighter. And there's a way you can do that. And you wait till there's a, an opening. And uh, so he became an Air Force firefighter, wow. got trained. And then he was um, deployed to Afghanistan uh, to a forward operating base, which had us praying for him every day. Came back and uh, they had some mortar attacks to their base, but he was never hurt. Came back, finished his uh, term in the Air Force and uh, became a private sector professional firefighter. And he actually works for the Shoreline Fire District and he lives up there in uh, Edmonds. Washington. So we're very proud of the work that he does. And our, our oldest son, Nicholas, is a structural engineer. That's pretty cool. He, he got a graduate degree uh, from the University of Washington, uh, but he originally got his engineering from Tulane. And after going to Florida and Pennsylvania, whatever, some of the Tulane business people recruited him back to New Orleans. And uh, he's a uh, the structural engineer for the largest construction company in the New Orleans area. Now, how did your daughter end up back in New York? She got a, a marketing degree and a minor in French, and uh, she knew that New York is the base place to be for, I'm trying to think of the term, but they have these influencers who are, right? Uh, and uh, there's a lot of marketing that's done working with influencers, and she got a job uh, very quickly in New York working for one of those businesses that handles all that marketing and she's still doing this years later and she loves being in new york so we love to visit but yeah. uh, i have no interest in living in new Does york she have children no she's single they say that if if, if you're going to live in new york do it early enough or you don't have to raise a family she can enjoy the social structure she she really enjoys the museums and that sort of thing uh, so she can go out and uh, really soak up uh, that kind of history and culture Plus, it's also a lot of fun for mom and dad to go back to visit. Oh, yes. We spent Easter Sunday at St. Patrick's oh, Cathedral nice. this year. Oh, how fun. Nice. And uh, you have to get tickets for that, but uh, I, I, I rode in early enough, and uh, so we went to Mass there for Saint uh, for Easter at St. Patrick's. Right. So. We only have about 30 seconds left in this segment. What made you decide to get into politics? Apparently, it's a lifelong scourge of mine. I, I have a sister who noticed when I was seven years old that I was interested in politics. <laughs> it's a matter of being engaged to make things happen. And okay. uh, and all along, I've always seen that as this is a means to an end. It's the politics is a means to an end. You do things to make things better. All right. We need to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's guest. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule, State Farm Insurance. We'll be back in just a moment, and we'll talk about homeless. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. You're listening to the Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. 
Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. Are you in the market for a new car? Well, if so, I encourage you to do what I do. Head down to Lule's Car Connection. Lule's has been selling quality vehicles for over 30 years. Lule's brokers any new vehicle selling within dealer invoice. But check this out. Lule's has financing with most major lenders and credit unions. So do what I do. Stop by Lule's Car Connection located at 2055 Mission Street in Salem and tell them Saltissimo sent you. Lule's Car Connection. We're back. This is the Terry Saul Weekend Show, Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, Amanda Smith, is joining us. And today we have the privilege of having uh, Kevin Maddox uh, in on studio with us. We do. So I have one big question. What is your view on our homelessness issues and how do you, what's your plan of attack? I think homelessness is actually a symptom of the state's failure to address some underlying issues. And it is not something uh, that's been around for a long time. It's more recent years. Mm -hmm. The homeless situation right now reflects our failure to address the issue. We are enabling the issue. We're not addressing it. One enabler was that false ballot measure that the attorney general's ballot title did not tell voters that, hey, we're going to make cocaine and heroin and methamphetamine and all these other street drugs basically legal with a $100 citation and no capability for law enforcement to address those issues, which means the word is getting around that, uh, hey, we're a free ride for Mm -hmm. street drug use and we're the only state in the nation that is like that. That $100 citation, though... Um, is forfeited if they call in and say that, hey, we want help, but they don't have to necessarily show up for the help? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, hey, here's... So basically they're getting away with nothing. Here's mm-hmm. the toll-free number. You call this and your your $100 fine is eliminated. So we base And very few people call in, but the ones who do, do it just to get the fine eliminated. Right. And there's no enforcement anyway. It's uh, a, a situation now where, again, we are enabling street drug use. Mm-hmm. And we're also enabling all of these problems because we're not addressing what I call the underlying causes. We have a serious mental health crisis in this state where we don't have enough facilities at the state level to house those who are mentally ill. We don't have the staff and we've put a lid basically on our capability to address this. Some people need to be in an institutional setting. So we're not doing that and we need to double the capacity of our straight three state mental health hospitals. Right now it's uh, the issue for law enforcement is you take someone to the emergency department or you take them to jail. There's no alternative right. there needs to be an alternative where gee you're you know you're strung out or you're you're drunk or you're just sorry you're out of sorts you just don't know what's going on so where do we take you to be evaluated right now First of all, they don't have the power to take you anywhere because we, as far as the drugs go. So the bottom line on this is law enforcement needs to have the capacity to intervene, and they need then to have a place to take somebody. And right now in Salem, the state mental hospital is full. Uh, we can't even get people in there for treatment who need to be institutionalized. Other people, once they've gone through a program can be out there in the community with supervision and with assistance. I'm sorry, I started. I could give you a half-hour speech about the mental health crisis. Oh, this is interesting. Bottom line is we are not properly funding the community mental health programs, nor are we funding the state mental health Why? facilities. Why are we not doing that? Well, because our politicians choose to use the money for other things, and they keep wanting to spend money on new programs and keep expanding programs rather than saying, you know, we have some defined needs. One is public safety. We can talk about that. On homelessness, the state needs to be backing up our local communities who want to address the issues. But when law enforcement tells me, I can't do anything about this guy sleeping under the bridge unless 
someone can charge him with trespassing, and then we have a State Department of Transportation or local governments who don't want to say we're going to enforce the trespass laws. See how it goes? It just grows. So there's an inability to address these issues at the get-go. And when you start to address them, the opportunity to deal with them is limited. Uh, you know, if you got someone who's strung out on drugs, maybe they need to go to the emergency department, which is already overloaded at Salem Hospital. Or you go to the county jail, but they don't have the facilities to deal with someone who's strung out. We need to have facilities available that are staffed for that intermediate situation. Otherwise, yes, someone who's violating the law needs to be taken to jail. They need to be kept under control until we can figure out their problem and straighten it out. We're not doing that at the state level. Kevin, when, when I moved here 30 some odd years ago, you've been here obviously for years too, there was not that big of a homeless problem here. It seems like just since COVID is when we see these tents and, and homeless camps all over the place. Well, COVID made it more obvious but mm-hmm. also Measure 110 added to it because now the word gets around go to Oregon, you can get away with street drugs and that is half the problem. The other half is the lack of mental health services But also, we changed the mental health system, so it's very hard to place someone in long-term care in a facility. The uh, advocates said, oh, we're being too tough. We need to get people out in the community. The problem is some of them can be out in the community with supervision and assistance. With We have modern drugs to help people control their symptoms, but others can't. I mean, I've been out there, and I remember campaigning and seeing a guy. He had taken off all his clothes. He's in the middle of an intersection at 14th Street and Center Street. You have to call the police to address. It. They have limited resources once they come on the scene. There's a pile of clothes there on the street. Pick them up. Take him in. We are not providing the backup to our local communities in terms of state facilities and programs and financing. Yes, it costs money, but it's, it's not just money for treatment. It's also money for the processing. And yes, some people are committing crimes. Then they need to be charged with those crimes and held accountable for them. And they need to be held in a facility while we arraign them in front of a judge. See what I'm getting at? It's a complex, comprehensive issue. There are solutions, but it's many faceted. And I intend to press for them as a state representative. So I was just at a meeting with a few of the county commissioners. Uh, they were kind of talking on some things. And one of the big things they talked about was the state hospital, the mental hospital, where if you're unable to fight and go to court and fight for what your charges are, they send you there. And they're saying that they're going to release those people because they don't have enough room. They don't have enough staff. The states, and they'll release them into Marion County. And so the state commissioners are, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I kind of just got bits and pieces, but they're trying to fight that and uh, hold the state accountable for these things because they're not doing their job in that aspect. Um, You're absolutely right. And what it is is whether you can aid and assist in your defense. And so you need to be evaluated to see whether you can aid and assist. So you've been arrested for a serious crime. You're being charged with a serious crime. And your attorney says you can't aid and assist in your defense. Well, then they need to be evaluated as to whether or not they can. And if they can't, then you need to go through a process of placing them in a mental health facility. On that one, the process of placing a mental health facility, we've made the standards so high it's hard to place them in a mental health facility as an alternative. And in terms of evaluation, the state has allowed itself to be so understaffed and to Mm -hmm. not have enough facilities online that they are not doing the processing under the own statutory standards that we've established for the state. And so now a federal judge says, well, you're going to have to release them if you haven't given them that evaluation. Right. This is all ridiculous. And it's a result of, and I blame the governor for this, not going to the legislature and saying we need to enhance the staff at the state hospital, mm-hmm. and there's three facilities. There's another one in Pendleton. 
and Junction City. We need to enhance the staff. We also need to enhance the staff to protect them. There are not enough staff for the current caseloads. So it's dangerous for the staff. You can't have one person dealing with a person who's physically out of it. Right. So it is a comprehensive problem at the state side. The solution is to make it an attractive place to work and to fund enough positions. And yes, that costs money Mm -hmm. to tell the courts and the counties uh, and the federal judge, yeah, we have facilities and we will evaluate these folks. And if they're not competent to stand trial, then you need to go through a civil commitment proceeding to have them kept civilly for mental health treatment and evaluation. Yeah. It's it's a sticky situation. Uh, Going and listening to people speak, I it's amazing what you learn um, that most of the public just doesn't know. Let's talk about uh, changing gears here a little bit. Let's talk about public safety. Uh, recently, I don't remember where it was. I think it was even back in New York. A woman was sitting in Taco Bell eating her taco, and a guy came up behind her for no reason, pulled out a knife, and stabbed her in the neck. Um, that's happening all over the place. What can you do to, to solve or to resolve some of the issues going on with public safety right now? I intend to embark on a comprehensive program to revamp our public safety system. We have some old standards that are still in effect, such as My Measure 11, which is mandatory minimum prison sentences for violent crime. If you're charged and convicted for that, you actually do serve that time. That incapacitates a violent offender so that person can't be out on the streets. But the problem right now is our arraignment process has been screwed up by the legislature, which has directed the courts to release people without evaluating them when they've been charged with a variety of crimes so that we have a catch and release system going on right now, which is the word I would use is stupid. And this has been a legislature which goes out of its way to say, well, we're not really going to enforce all the laws. When we pass a law that says the police can't pull you over to tell you that your taillight is broken. Oh, because you might be discriminating? No, you're trying to enforce public safety. When you pull someone over, though, and you notice that they're driving drunk, you should be able to do something about it. We have incapacitated law enforcement tremendously with restrictions passed by the left-wing leadership of the legislature aided and abetted by a left-wing governor who's leaving office January 10, thank goodness. And this whole system, it starts out with law enforcement in the streets being able to enforce the law. Secondly, when they've arrested someone, they should be arraigned in front of a magistrate. And yes, we need to fund the public defender system so they can be assigned an attorney. We also need to have a fully funded prosecution system. And the courts need to be able to speedily schedule a trial. And this whole system has been allowed to erode the last 20 years, largely under left-wing leadership. In the last few years, it's really gotten worse. There's been a failure to come forward and say, you know, there are a number of things we can fix to make sure that the law will be enforced. It's called a broken window syndrome, though. If you start allowing certain laws to be violated and you do nothing about it, you create the atmosphere, hey, I can do what I want. And right now, people know that they can commit low-level crime and they probably won't get arrested in the first place. If they do get arrested, they're going to be released right away without having to post bail because of the catch and release system. And we need to put a stop to that. And the way to do that is to pass laws that change that system and also to fund it with, yes, the money that the state collects in regular tax dollars. We need to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting warmed up here. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance, Amanda Smith, and our guest is Kevin Mannix. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group.
We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We are back with our final few minutes. Today's guest has been Kevin Mannix. And we were talking just a, a minute ago about uh, some of the issues going on right now. I found out recently that at a grocery store chain uh, here in town, if they load up groceries, as someone does, and walks out the door, there's nothing they can do. Why? Why, why, why is that... Or how do we change that? Exactly. How do we change that? Well, we've created a system where they are concerned about their liability. Oh, false arrest. Oh, damages. Oh, civil rights. Discrimination. No. We ought to have a system, and I will propose this, where we say to all the merchants out there, you can do a citizen's arrest. And assuming you didn't deliberately just beat somebody up, <laughs> um, we, will, we will defend you. Civilly, in terms of the court, any court action, we will also hold you harmless financially. And, and in terms of helping enforce the law, we will thank you for helping enforce the law. And yes, we'd want to encourage businesses and to have training programs. How do you now? Some guy's got a gun or a knife. I'm not asking the shopkeeper to to arrest the person. Right. But a lot of these folks are simply taking advantage of a system that says you can do what you want, and we're not going to do anything about it. No, change that. Law enforcement also needs to know that we will defend any police officer, any law enforcement officer who is enforcing the law, as long as they are not criminally harming someone, like he commits a crime against somebody, that we will defend them and we will pay for the cost of their defense. We will hold them harmless against any civil liability. We'll say to our law enforcement officers, thank you for enforcing the law. And as long as you didn't you know, use that as an excuse to commit a crime against somebody, we don't want that. When you are just doing your job, thank you. And don't worry about attorneys. Don't worry about the cost of defense. Don't worry about civil liability. We will stand behind you because you are standing up for our community. In our final few minutes, I'd like to ask you about the cost of living. Uh, when I moved up here 30-some-odd years ago, you can afford to live up here. Now it's crazy. It's just it's gotten out of control. What can we do to resolve that? The first thing we can do is to repeal the cat tax, the corporate activity tax, which is a backdoor sales tax, which is imposed on any business. It's a 2% tax on top of everything else based on volume. Now, small shopkeepers may not have to pay it, but the larger businesses do, and it's built into the cost of goods and services. As soon as you hit a million dollars of revenue, you have to pay 2% extra, whether or not there was any profit. Right. And that corporate activity tax slipped through by the legislature is Passed on to the consumers. So 2% of your cost right now, I can save you by repealing that corporate activity tax. Secondly, we need to repeal the death tax, which makes it hard for someone to build up their business, pass it on to the family. We are tied with Massachusetts for the worst death taxes in the nation. Oh, I've heard about this. And only 13 states still have death taxes in the, since 2002. In the last 20 years, 37 states have figured it out and repealed it. You're already paying income taxes. You're already paying property taxes. And to tax your business when you're trying to pass it on to your kids upon your death is ludicrous and we need to repeal that but that's going to be built into the cost of all the businesses have to spend money with attorneys and accountants to figure out how to protect the business there's more the amount of government regulation and i'll call it roadblocks that we have built up for businesses costs money 
Strip back the regulations. Streamline them to make it easier for businesses to exist. You'll help them save money, which helps them reduce the cost of their goods and services. So there's a whole structural background where the amount of government regulation and taxation imposes on the businesses, and that gets passed on to our consumers. Then we have to take a look at some other things that we're doing that are not supporting the development of businesses. But I think what I just mentioned are immediate things we can do. Then at the at the congressional and federal level, we need to elect people to Congress, to the Senate, and to the House at the federal level to push back against the uh, administration's policies, which have been feeding inflation. So I think we could start with cleaning up our own government structure and our own government taxation here in Oregon. So speaking of cleaning up here, what, what are your thoughts on the politics here? <laughs> well, I think we're finally going through a, a reconsideration of where we're headed as a state. Yes. I'm a common sense Republican. I want to talk across party lines with the Democrats, and I'll, and I'll say all but the ultra-left-wing Democrats. There, there is a, a, a culture among some of the ultra-left-wing folks, and it's not just Democrats or maybe some others, but who really are not willing to engage in conversations about solutions. Right. I am proud of the fact that in my 10 years previously, I left 20 years ago, but I was in the House for 10 years. I authored more successful legislation than any legislator in Oregon history. Wow. Nice. 135 bills, getting rid of bad laws, fixing broken laws, and passing new laws for new issues. And I did that by being willing to converse with everybody. Right. Let's identify a problem. Let's work on a solution. Let's push this through together. And the 135 bills I pushed through, are all but one are still standing. One got watered down over the years. But the whole point was you make things happen by listening to people, talking with people, and recognizing that our voters, our citizens, have serious concerns that we can address. Mm-hmm. And we need to be focusing on what they need and what government needs to provide. And public safety is a key element. Transportation is another. Good schools is another. And on the school side, I, I would be supporting uh, m- more support for school choice so parents have more variability in what they can do to help their kids get an education. The atmosphere has to be one of common sense and civility. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm going to bring that back to the Capitol. I'm going to insist we need to do that. Uh, Kevin, um, we've got about <coughs> maybe uh, three minutes left, and I'm just going to turn this over to you and just say, what do you want to tell our listeners? But I want the listeners to understand, our listeners, that this is a citizen legislature. We elect folks who have regular jobs and businesses. I have my law practice here in Salem. I have several attorneys working for me, and I will continue the law practice because I need to. But I'll be focusing on legislative affairs for six months next year during session and preparing for that. And as we go through that process, I want folks to know I, I want to hear from them about the issues. We do have a website that you know it's the Mannix for Oregon website, and we can also be reached through the campaign. We're reaching out to the voters right now to ask for their support. But then after the election, assuming I'm successful, I want to hear from everybody about what we can do to make things better. People that run into issues in government and in and, and, and the community and pass on what they've identified and maybe they have ideas for solutions. The whole point of me doing this is my kids are growing up. They're doing well. My wife and I are both doing well. And we want to continue to give back to our community. And the way I can do that is through public service and To me, it's not a sacrifice. It's an honor Mm -hmm. to have the opportunity to address these issues. There'll only be 60 of us in the State House of Representatives, and we get to work with the governor, we get to work with the State Senate to cobble together solutions. But I will insist that we have those conversations and we address those issues. And I'll be vocal about that. 
but I will not be mean and nasty. People are tired of that. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be truthful about the shortcomings of some people running for office. We need to be truthful, too, about the issues that confront us. As we do all of that, I'm satisfied that we will end up with solutions that will make life better for Oregonians. So when they get up in the morning, they have an opportunity for a job. They've got transportation system that works. They can get their kids to school or they can get to work. They're paying fair taxes. They have schools or an education opportunity for their kids that will work. These are the everyday things that really matter to Oregonians. And it's important that I do everything I can to help address those issues. All right. The election is just a couple of weeks away. It is. It is. So make sure you guys get out there, vote, read up on what you're voting, stay informed. It's important. Would you do us a favor, Kevin? Uh, After you win, would you come back and uh, talk with us more? I would be happy to. In fact, it's important to carry on the communication regularly. And uh, I will do that. Okay. Thank you so much for coming in, Kevin. We appreciate you. My pleasure. We're just about out of time for today's show. Remember, you can catch our show every Saturday at 10 a.m. and a replay Sundays at 6 p.m. right here on Salem's original radio station, KSLM. A reminder, if you missed any of today's show or would like to hear any of my shows, you can always hear a podcast on our official KSLM website at www.kslm.news or on my official website at www.terrysall.com. If you would like to drop me a note, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is terry at kslm.news. KSLM.news. We'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Holmes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Good show. Bye, everybody.